Recovery Elevator, episode 130. Relearning how progressive it is and always kind of saying, okay, well, I'm not like him. I, my behaviors aren't like my father, so I guess I'm not an alcoholic, or I guess I don't have an alcohol problem. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for 1,062 days. On today's podcast, we've got Tyler. He's been sober since March 19th, 2017. He's 33 years old and he's from good old Austin, Texas. Damn, I hear that is a big state. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started. One of the cool things about doing Recovery Elevator is I get links, articles, and emails about resources sent to me all the time. One of them was a short read by Pema Chodron called When Things Fall Apart, Hard Advice for Difficult Times. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while... Episode 118 was called The Black Dog. It's about the depression that I've been experiencing for probably the last year or so. Fortunately, I can give you an update about that. Things are looking up. That's not just my positive attitude talking there. Things are going a lot better. Now, there will be a link in the episode notes 130 to where you can find Pema Chodron when things fall apart. I encourage you to buckle up. This reading for me was mind-blowing. I'm really only going to cover the first 10 minutes of the book, and I highly encourage you to listen to the whole thing. I've listened to the whole thing two and a half times. It's simply remarkable. It's not specific to addiction, but it's more about what we do as a person when we experience discomfort. A lot of times, those actions lead us into addictions. So, here we go. Pema starts off in the book saying, This very moment is the very best teacher. Generally, we regard any form of discomfort as bad news. But for some, feelings of anxiety, depression, disappointment, irritation, anger, jealousy, or fear, instead of being bad news, these are moments that teaches us whatever and wherever it is that we are holding back. Now, I just said, but for some, these uncomfortable feelings are fantastic teachers. I never have fallen into that category as for some, but I plan to do so moving forward. These uncomfortable moments, they teach us to perk up and lean in when we'd rather tuck our tails and back away. These feelings are messengers that show us with terrifying clarity exactly where we are stuck. Again, this very moment is the very best teacher we can ask for. And here's the good news, guys. This teacher is with us at all times. I've run away from this teacher for so long. When I started running away, I'm not sure. I guess I got to give myself some credit. I quit drinking. I got sober. I've not always been running away from this teacher, so I need to be kind to myself and tell myself that. Looking back, it started in my early 20s. It was clear that alcohol helped me ignore these uncomfortable feelings, and I would tuck my tail and back away from them. 
At that time, I was paying Chapman University in Southern California boatloads of money thinking those were the very best teachers that I could have. Who would have thought that it was this moment and those uncomfortable feelings that were the very best teachers I could have had? Actually, I, I continued to pay for those teachers for uh, a little short of a decade after that. But adios, student loans, those puppies are gone. Pema continues to say, Each day we are given many opportunities to open up, and we're also given opportunities to shut down. We don't need to seek out these moments. Trust me, life will make them happen. The most precious opportunity presents itself when we reach the moment where we feel we can't handle what is happening at this exact moment. In the end, we realize there is no way to manipulate the situation to make ourselves come out in the end looking good or feeling okay. No matter how hard we try, we realize life has just nailed us. It's as if we look in the mirror and what you see looks bad. You flip the light on and off. You put on a different shirt. You turn sideways. Then you look into the mirror, but no matter what you do, you still look like Screech from Saved by the Bell. I'm talking early 92 to 93 seasons, guys. He had a rough go there. That is being nailed by life. At this moment, we arrive at a point where we have two options. Embrace what's happening or push it away. I pushed it away for years, many years. Hundreds, probably thousands of times. If you're listening and you're like me, don't beat yourself up. Most people hate these moments, including myself, and most people run away. Okay, and here's where a value bomb of all value bomb bombshells was dropped at 241 into track two. She's saying that all addictions stem from this moment. And it's where we meet our edge, and we just can't stand it. We feel we have to soften that edge and with something. We pat it with something, and eventually we become addicted to whatever it is to ease the pain. If your mind was just blown, you're not alone. A couple weeks ago when I first heard this, I was driving back to Montana after visiting family in Colorado. I had to restart that track. I heard it again. When that edge is just too sharp, some people eat too much sugar. Some people buy materialistic objects. Some people cut themselves. Some people exercise too much. Some people do heroin or coke. I drank. Now, you might be listening to this saying, wait a second, what about all that talk about genetics and this disease stuff? I still subscribe to that fully. So here's what it is. Genetic loads the gun, your environment, and your learned behaviors pulls the trigger. At this moment, at mile marker 612, damn Montana is also a big state, I learned that I've been running away from things for a long time. I thought when I got sober, I was done running away from things. But sure, life happens even in sobriety, and I have found other ways to run away from problems. I was eager to share this with you guys, and I hope you found that useful. And before we get to the interviewee, I also want to comment on the title of that book by Pema Chodron. It's called When Things Fall Apart. It's not called If Things Fall Apart in the conditional format. It's When Things Fall Apart. And if you've been on this planet long enough, well, it probably only takes a year or two or a couple of year or two of memories to realize that it's when things fall apart. I plan to continue to listen to these discs and subscribe to that teaching. It's really cool stuff. Okay, let's hear from our interviewee, Tyler. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for asking. Tyler, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I have been sober for 130 days. Congratulations on 130 days. And before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Sure. So I'm 33. I live in Austin, Texas. I am an editor for a national magazine 
called Plus Magazine, and I am um, HIV pharmacy rep in Texas. So I develop all the HIV programs. Fantastic. And before I hit the record button, I understand you have two large standard poodles, which is freaking awesome. Welcome to the club, Tyler. What are the names? Jones and Indy. Oh, that's after the Counting Crow songs, right? <laughs> yeah. I usually get Indiana Jones, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely it's said Jones Indiana Jones. Yeah, you corrected yeah. me, though, before. I said Indiana Jones, but awesome selection on dogs. And uh, listeners, Tyler reached out to me with a link to an article he wrote that went viral. He's got 30,000 plus shares. And the title definitely piqued my interest. Gay, fabulous, and drinking myself to death. I loved reading this article. And listeners, there will be a link to this article in the show notes for episode 130. Tyler, tell us a little bit about this article. Yeah, so I wrote it because of my own personal experiences. I, You know, of course, drinking issues and addiction issues aren't specific to being gay. But it's interesting to talk about it in terms of the LGBT community because gay culture was born in a bar. So the first kind of gathering places for gay men to be themselves were in bar settings. So ever since like kind of the U.S. style of gay culture emerged, alcohol has been synonymous with it. And it still is. I mean, I don't have children. You know, a lot of gay people kind of don't have those like automatic factors that kind of bring them out of the bar scene, like getting married, having children, things like that. And so I was just noticing in my life, like, gosh, like I'm in such a repetitive cycle. It's like, I, I can't get off this merry-go-round of happy hours and brunches and events that surround alcohol. And I'm always completely wasted, even though I keep telling myself I'm not going to get wasted. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what is that merry-go-round so, like? It sounds exhausting. Am I correct on that? Oh my gosh. It's very exhausting. It basically... You know, I didn't have a problem with drinking every single day. That wasn't my issue. But I did have an extremely packed social calendar filled with kind of nothing events that were seemingly important. You know, every Friday was some kind of party or something like that to go to. And all my fr- I guess I was like a professional party boy, basically. All my friends and I would go out and get drunk. And then Saturday, we'd do the same thing over and then Sunday we'd meet for brunch we would drink you know I'd always say I'd commit to leaving at six you know but I always ended up like at 10 p.m. at some drag show somewhere so like Monday Tuesday and Wednesday were always completely miserable because I you know I'm not as young as I used to be I've been doing this for 10 years now and it was just like nothing was changing it was like the same the same event over and over and over my father died from an alcohol overdose, which is a rare thing to have. I guess happen. A lot of people don't think you can die from overdoses, um, but he struggled with addiction. So I was, I was obviously like very keen on watching my behavior and listening to your podcast actually, and 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 kind of relearning. I learned a lot about alcoholism and Al-Anon as a kid, but relearning how progressive it is and always kind of saying, okay, well, I'm not like him. I, my behaviors aren't like my father, so I guess I'm not an alcoholic, or I guess I don't have an alcohol problem. Then realizing, well, at, his, at my age, he was probably, you know, pretty similar. And 
my behaviors were, were only getting worse. So I knew that I wanted to stop now while it was easier than wait another 10 years whenever it's even harder to quit the behavior that I don't want to have. Tyler, I'm sorry to hear about your father. And how old was your father when he passed away? He was 62, so he was pretty young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, def- um, definitely young. And it was pretty sudden. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that. And just those last 30 seconds, so you, you mentioned a couple big value bombs. Is Number one, you're, first off, you're focusing on the differences and not the similarities. You're like, oh, you know, I don't drink like my dad. I can't be an alcoholic. But then you also realize there's right. a progression, and you saw the writing on the wall which is awesome. Not a lot of people can see this. Not everybody does, but you realize like I could go on for 10 more years, another extremely exhausting decade, or I could stop now and that merry go round, you know, going to brunch and say, I'm going home at six and damn it. Another drag show. This happened again. It's exhausting. I understand that. And you know, and you're 33 years old. When did you start to realize that? Yeah, maybe my drinking is not normal. Well, this actually wasn't my first article to write on alcohol abuse. And, you know, I started about three years ago kind of evaluating my own behavior and recognizing, like, basically separating what gay pride is from excuses to binge drink all the time. And that's, that's going to sound like I'm coming down on, on gay pride, and I'm not. I'm probably one of the, like, the biggest flag-waving gay men you can find. Uh, but you know lgbt people have higher rates of addiction addiction they have higher rates of alcohol abuse higher rates of tobacco abuse higher rates of all these kind of bad things and it was because it was a repressed group and as we are fighting and getting further and further and progressing and becoming more mainstream or not mainstream but becoming more equal in terms of rights these behaviors no longer kind of have an use like well our life sucks and you know we have all these things that are against us so let's just go out and get wasted because nobody else understands us i kind of like don't really accept that anymore i want to really look into my own behaviors and recognize that okay well i'm 33 or at the time it was 30 and i am binge drinking three nights plus a week and i think binge drinking is kind of it's a it's a tricky one because my friends of course like uh, people in my life which was great you know at the end of the 30 days i was like why would i even drink in the first place i feel amazing when did you take the 30 days off probably three years ago like in the the was like the start of this like process sure and but on day 31 i was completely wasted you know (laughs) funny how that works i i i finished the 30 days and then you know my friends course suggested to cut back and every time that I have cut back in my life I always dial it right back up plus a few notches you know eventually because all of those negotiations happen where you're like I'm only going to drink on Friday and Saturday well Thursday is my friend's party so I guess I'll have drinks tonight oh well I thought I was going to have three but they just put a round of champagne out so I'm going to have four like it just always spirals into excess for me at least And Tyler, you just summarized the progression perfectly right there. And I'm going to say it again for listeners. If you're driving, if you missed it, I'm going to say it again. You just said every time, that's your keyword right there. Every time that you tried to cut back, you found yourself right back to the spot where you're at. So you unsuccessfully cut back. 
And then your addiction would talk to you in your own voice and say, hey, it's Friday night. It's Saturday night. There's a drag show tonight. There's this. There's this brunch. There's that. And, you know, you'd only drink at social events. But, damn, there was a lot of social events in your calendar. It seems like you were drinking every night. So right. that's the progression. And that's what sounds like you experienced the progression, correct? Absolutely. And I realized, I recognized, I've never actually even blacked out before. Now, it's kind of my party trick where I could drink a lot and I didn't really show it. And the last night that I drank, I had my first blackout moment wow. where I woke up and thankfully I opened my email and I saw a taxi receipt that got me home and I kind of had flashes of, oh yeah, it's the taxi home. Mm -hmm. But that moment was my big wake up call because I kind of already saw the writing on the wall. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm getting worse and I, I'm not going to get any worse from now because my life is going so well and I didn't I'm I'm engaged to be married and you know we're thinking about adopting soon and I was like I could ruin all of this with one bad night or with one bad experience and it was just kind of like nope uh, clearly I can't just have a little bit it always goes too far so I'm just going to stop myself before I you know lose anything that I really would miss now with that email and that kind of light bulb moment in your life was it a question? Because you, you just said it. You're like, I'm getting worse. Was it a question in your mind? Was it like, am I getting worse? Because for me, it was a question for so long. But then it was clear as day that I'm getting worse. And it sounds like you were ready at that moment. But, but was it a question? Yeah, I mean, I think I still question if I actually was or was not. But one thing that made it so relieving was to just like, okay, well, if I'm questioning it, then let's just always go with I am. Because it just, you know, it's such a relief just to go ahead and just say I have a problem with it because there's an easy solution for that. But if I say I don't have a problem with it, then that's whenever I'm in an obstacle course for the rest of my life. I'm always kind of trying to find the balance. So it was really easy to say, well, clearly my balance is none at all. That's what I function best on because, like I said, like I probably could have gone another 10 years if I weren't so exposed to alcoholism already because my father was in AA on and off his entire life and for at least my entire life with him. And, you know, I, I kind of had a lot of exposure to what, what alcohol can do to a person. And so it was just, I don't, I honestly, like, I don't like the word alcoholic. You don't, like, I think I felt heard, heard this on your show, but you don't call a person with cancer a cancerholic. Yeah, um, I also don't like the word alcoholic. I don't. No, I think it is such a, a, a word filled with stigma. And I don't really relate to it, but I could easily relate to admitting that I have an alcohol abuse problem. Like, I... Clearly, I don't. I binge. I'm a binge drinker, and that that's an easy one for me to identify with. Like, yeah, I can. You know, you tell me that a binge drinker drinks, you know, in excess of this amount of drinks. Well, that's me because I did it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, with separating alcoholic from okay, I have a binge drinking disorder, and that is an addiction disorder kind of a thing. That was easy for me to be like, I'm going to go with that, and I'm going to work on that. And use that as a reason why I want to be in a clear mind. 
Sure. And I have mentioned on this podcast that I've broken up with the word alcoholic. Sure. At times I, I you still use that word and I say, I'm an alcoholic because I am, but I don't like the word. We don't call people who smoke cigarettes, cigaretteaholics or cocaineaholic. And it's such a descriptor. It almost defines people. For example, oh, my aunt Tina is an alcoholic, period. The sentence usually ends after that. Right. You rarely hear, oh, my aunt uh, Tina is an alcoholic who loves to knit and does great things for the community. You never hear that. But, you know, someone has cancer. My Aunt Tina has cancer. And she gives back to the community. There's always a second part of the sentence. But the word alcoholic, it's just it's like defining. It stops. But that's not who I am. I Sure, I have a drinking problem, a disorder. I'm fine with that. But, you know, I, 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 that's not who I am as an alcoholic. And, you know, Tyler, I'm going to back it up a little bit. You, you simplified this whole drinking thing. Uh, perfectly. You, you said, well, if, if I might have a drinking problem, I'm going to lean to the side of caution and say, I am, you know, I am someone with a drinking problem. And I got to give you kudos on that because a lot of people, they ride this thing to the bitter end and they don't ever reach that realization. Tyler, I get emails, uh, you know, 500, a thousand, 2000 word email, long emails from people who say, Hey Paul, listen to the podcast. I'm not sure if I have a drinking problem or not. And then they'll spill the entire drinking history. And I just want to respond with, you know, you know, normal drinkers, a, they don't listen to podcasts about recovery and B, they don't email the hosts, you know, laying out the drinking career. And sometimes my response is, is like, yeah, I hate to break it to you. I hope I'm wrong. And only you can diagnose yourself, but you probably have a drinking problem. And Tyler, it sounds like you skipped all that. You just woke up one day. You're like, you know what? I think I have a drinking disorder. And then how did that feel when you reached that conclusion? It was like the first few days were terrifying, you know, well, not terrifying, but I was just, I was going very slowly in the process, like taking it in, like, can I, can I do this? Like, is this right for me? I did go to an AA meeting my first day and second and third, I think, I think I went to AA for my first month, really. It didn't honestly, like, I think it's such a wonderful program, and it's one of the things where I will never close that door. If I ever need to go, like, feel the, you know, urge that I have to go to something like that, then I will. But it honestly just didn't work for me. Like, I honestly, it works better for me whenever I kind of, like, created my own mechanisms of support and things like that. But whenever, like, the, the morning whenever I woke up and decided, it was more of, like, organizing my thoughts around what I am and what I'm not. And like you said, like, I am I an alcoholic? Is that whenever I was going to AA, like, okay, I'm going to call myself an alcoholic over and over and over again. And I'm really putting myself in such an extreme label. And what was bothering me was like, well, you know, my friends, or not even my friends, but like in my community, I'm really involved in like in community activism. And I know a lot of other gay men who struggle with alcohol or binge drinking, let's say. And I was like, I don't want to put myself in a label that's so unattainable because like you, I've had a lot of people email me and say, well, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or not. I mean, that's, that's such a bad word. You know, you don't, <laughs> if you don't have to admit to being one, why yeah. would you? Uh-huh. So I was like, well, you know, don't even think about that. But here's what my Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights look like. Do yours look the same? And if so, this is an option for you. Like, you don't have to, like, tattoo alcohol to your body to decide to quit drinking. Because, like, I, you know, the marketing and our, our culture and our um, television says that drinking is 
almost like an, uh, not an option. You have to drink to be a normal human being. Oh, it's a way and, of life. And you're not American if you don't right. drink Budweiser. Exactly. And there's this kind of alternative lifestyle. I like to be like, we tried veganism. You should try like an alcohol-free diet, you know, for <laughs> totally. the rest of your life. It doesn't have to be so extreme to um, decide to make a change for the better. And, and uh, I might might be offending people here. I hope I don't. I'm trying to make an analogy, but do people ever ask you, you know, like, hey, Tyler, I like making out with guys. Am, am I gay? Is it something that's that simple? <laughs> well, that's a different can of worms. And you're not. <laughs> I, I, I like making out with girls. I don't, but like. I, I, and it's going to lead me to my next question is I, I think this is, you're the third or fourth or maybe fifth person on the podcast that's been gay and an alcoholic. You know, what was more difficult for you is coming out of the closet as someone who's gay or someone as an alcoholic or, okay, well, no, I wouldn't use the alcohol, word alcoholic, but someone who has a drinking problem. Well, okay. So I've, I've been out for like 20 years. Even though I'm like 33, I came, oh no, I guess I've been out for like 18 years. Good for you. That's awesome. Um, so I don't really remember. I mean, I remember it, but I was also a teenager. So my emotions and like all the things that I thought were so important are very different now. But I came out of HIV positive five years ago. Oh, okay. And that was like one of the most, the best experiences of my life. I don't know how everyone's education level on HIV is different, but HIV is like a chronic disease now. Like sure. it's, it is extremely manageable and everything is great. And uh, you know, my life is super healthy and super uh, full of, of positive things because I don't have secrets that I live with. And that's kind of it. But in a way it was easier to come out about HIV because people don't argue that I don't have HIV or maybe you, you know, are you sure you need to go on medication? Like nobody says things like that to a person with HIV. Yeah. So whenever I came out with an alcohol problem and like people asked me the, the most insane questions and like prying questions and people ask me insane and prying questions about HIV as well. But it's, uh, I guess like a label that you can try on for size and actually take off if you want it and people will allow it. Uh-huh. So I, in a way it's harder because people with, addiction issues really have to commit because some people might convince them and even their, you know, unconscious self might try to convince them that that's not them, but it is like, I knew myself because I watched my dad struggle until he died. So I was like, I'm, I'm not going to escape this. And I don't want to, because I saw what it looks like to try. And I'd rather just like run headfirst into, you know, my issues and, and go, on the other side, just like with HIV, like coming out was the best thing because everyone in my life is so supportive and so wonderful and so uh, non-judgmental because everyone has had unprotected sex in their life, right? Like everybody has had that one moment where they could have been exposed. And so like, I don't judge myself and I don't really accept anyone that judges me. Same thing with alcohol. Like I don't judge myself. I don't judge my, my problems with alcohol. Because I'm, I'm taking action to make it better. Man, that's hard to hear, and I appreciate you opening up about that. But it's hard to hear that the stigma surrounding addiction, drugs, and alcohol is so effing strong that, if I heard you correctly, that coming out with HIV was easier than coming out as someone with a drinking problem. Am I right? 
Well, I can say that because I've done it. Like, if you now, if a person with HIV has not come out, like, of course, they would argue differently. Sure. Okay. Um, I yeah. tell I tell people with HIV same thing I would tell, I guess, a person that has alcohol abuse disorder. Like, I can't tell you it's going to be better on the other side because you don't know. Like, you'll have a million questions and a million kind of like a person. Like, I can't tell you that after you go to your first AA meeting or whatever recovery method you choose to do. I can't tell you that it's going to be better. You have to learn it for yourself. Like you have, like I can't tell you that coming out of the closet as gay will infinitely be better than all of the things you're terrified of right now. But when you do it, it will be. So like, I think it's just with any kind of issue or blemish or problem you have in your life, it is so much easier to be honest and truthful and open about it and accept help and accept support from people in your life than it is to try to manage it on your own because it eventually will eat you alive. 100%. You said the word earlier. I think it was freedom or liberating. I can't remember exactly what it was, but that's exactly how I felt. And I think how you felt when you came out with HIV and as someone with a drinking problem is liberating. You've got this 10,000-pound gorilla that's suddenly off your back. Sure, you've got the issue, okay, how do I fight this? You know, How do I move forward, which is a whole different beast, which has been summarized in the previous 129 episodes of the Recovery Elevator podcast. <laughs> but it feels really good to just come out with it and say, hey, I can't do this alone. This is what's going on in my life. So I highly encourage you to take a page out of Tyler's book and, and come out with it. And, and so you, you don't go to AA, it sounds like. It sounds like you went to AA for the first you know, 30 days, and you know that resource is in your back mm-hmm. pocket if you need it. You know, how, how are you doing it? Walk us through a typical day in, in the life of Tyler. So I am still figuring out how I do it. So, like, most days have been pretty easy, but there have been some struggles. Like, I went to a wedding in Mexico in a resort, which, alcohol, like, people with alcohol issues in your first, six months like I'm sure it's like a big no-no to go to an (laughs) all-inclusive resort that you paid for and you're watching everyone drink the alcohol that you're not going to have but that was troubling but honestly like I volunteer a whole lot so I volunteer at my uh, local um, animal refuge center so I'm a foster parent for dogs looking to be adopted and I I volunteer at a clinic here. So one of the things that I liked about AA was the commitment to service. I've always been pretty driven on doing things for other people and kind of getting out of my own head. And that really is the best medicine for me is to um, quit thinking out my problems for a little bit and, and try helping someone else with theirs, whether it's you know a person or an animal. I do meditate quite a bit. I don't know if I'm any good at it or if it does anything, but it's still an extra like 10, 20, 30 minutes a day where I'm committed to something other than, you know, not drinking basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a very like focused way of thinking. I play sports here in Austin. I'm on a kickball team and, but I'm still working through it. Cause I got to say like the one thing that I don't have that AA has is fellowship. So like, I don't have a lot of sober friends. And I love my friends dearly, but it is hard. That's probably the, the hardest part about my journey is navigating my same social circles, but sober. And sometimes I'm better at it than others, but it's hard. That's like, that's the one part that I'm working on. I know that AA would provide me like with so many people 
in my life, but I don't feel like I should use it just for that because honestly, that's the only thing that I'd be using it for at this point. Sure. And you, you said working. That's the progressive tense of that word. You don't need to solve that right now. As long as you're cognizant of it and you know know your walls and your barriers. There's times where I've done the same thing. With two and a half years of sobriety, I was another sober buddy of mine. We went to a trip over Memorial Day to Minnesota. It was a drunk fest. And at the end, we're like, you know what? We're probably not going to be taking too many of these trips in the future, if any. So it's fine. It's just I think being aware of it is, is a big thing. And you mentioned earlier the big part about AA is community and the fellowship and you know the service component, which is huge. And I heard this quote. I was listening to a, a, an audio book about meditation, and I hope I, hopefully I don't butcher it, but you know, we alcoholics, we are a selfish lot. And the quote was, uh, there are two types of selfish people. Number one is the unwise selfish person who does everything for themselves and does not experience joy. There's another type of selfish person that knows joy comes from helping others. So he does everything for another person and experiences joy. And it's, it's huge. You said you're volunteering with the dogs. You're volunteering in the community. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm sure you're going to continue to do that. Um, you know, what have you learned most about yourself in recovery, Tyler? Like, I'm a, like, honestly, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a very intense person. And so, like, one of the ways to water that down, I realize now, was drinking. Like, I could kind of, like, stupefy, like, not stupefy, but, yeah, stupefy my thinking and just totally numb out and relax because I'm really uptight and intense. So, like, it is kind of, like, I mean, ever since I was 21, I've been drinking pretty regularly. And whenever you're working on a deficit, like a hangover or recovering, your mind isn't at full capacity. And now that, like, I've had four-plus months of my mind being in, you know, like working on all cylinders, I have to kind of find other ways of chilling out because alcohol was a very effective form, but it was a very unhealthy form of chilling my brain out because it just couldn't function. And now I have to do other things, which is a good thing because honestly, like I can channel that into such great stuff, but I can also like with, with that, with it being uncapped or like unmanaged, I can go real dark or real negative or real angry. And so I just have to kind of monitor that. Which I guess that's not like a, the greatest thing to learn about myself and recovery, but it's what has kind of emerged the most that I'm thankful for because it's who I am. It's just how I'm built, but I just have to learn healthier ways to, to, you know, kind of make it, make it so that it, it serves me versus like kind of being a bad thing in my life. Yeah. I'll give alcohol props. It, it does a great job of helping me relax. What, what really is happening is my faculties are slowing down and if you drink enough, they get right. enough, they'll, they'll shut down. But the problem is alcohol is not sustainable and it was going to lead to a fiery death for me. So I decided to quit. It sounds like you're doing the same and you're right. Relaxing, finding ways, healthy, sustainable in the long-term ways, such as exercise and meditation, to chill out has been pivotal for me as well. And it's awesome that you realize that with 130 days, I, I got sober and just took on the world. It's like, wow, I can, I'm, I can be Superman right now. And, and I'm still kind of dealing with the after effects of that. It's great that you realize that you need to slow down and find ways to shut the mind off. And Tyler, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Okay. I'll try. 
<laughs> okay, number one, <laughs> what was your worst memory from drinking, Tyler? I guess the memory that I lost. So my worst memory is having zero memories. Yeah, that has to be the number one. That's the last night I drank. And before we move on to number two, I want to comment on you blacked out one time and that was your worst memory, which I've heard that before. Your worst memory is the memory that you lost. And if you're listening right now, you don't have to lose a marriage, a car, driver's license, money, your job, all this stuff. You, you Tyler, you sounds like you recognized one thing. Like, Wait a second. I blacked out. I know where this is going. My father died of an overdose of alcohol. I got to stop. So again, kudos to you. Sorry to interrupt. Question number two. We've all heard the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking? It all kind of boils down to that one last night where I literally was going out for like probably like one or two cocktails and it turned into like an all night dance party with a taxi and a receipt that I didn't even remember paying for. So that's kind of an oh shit moment. I mean, like, Definitely. oh shit. Like, I, every time I go somewhere, I mean, that's the sad thing is there's too many to count oh shit moments. There have been so many brunches where I'm like, I'm still going to finish brunch, just have coffee, and then go to the gym later. Cut to me at a drag show, 10 p.m. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Tyler, you got 130 days of sobriety. What's your plan moving forward? Just stay sober. <laughs> Hey, hey, sometimes it's so that simple. Are, yeah, so uh, we have. I have like so many awesome things going on. I'm gonna get married. Congratulations! We are about to start the adoption process. I, I cannot wait to be a father. So, like, it, really, it's just to keep my eyes squarely focused on all of the awesome stuff going on, and to work on all of that stuff. Like, have an amazing career that is only getting better, and I'm just really like thankful for everything and and my other step is to for me talking about it publicly or not even publicly but like just talking about it and being an open book for other people to 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 talk to if they want to discuss their behaviors or maybe problems they have that really helps me kind of keep my my head on straight absolutely next question tyre what's your favorite resource in recovery no joke i've had several people that have reached out to me with questions and I send them your link of there was this podcast that you did called like 50 reasons to quit drinking now. And it was the first one I listened to. And it was like short, quick, funny reasons like that you, that you can kind of laugh about, but like also very serious, like why alcohol is just like the shittiest thing you could ever put in your body. So I kind of like start with that episode and then kind of jump around and find topics that you want to listen to because you know, I'm a podcast guy. I listen to like about 20. So this has been my favorite resource. Well, thank you very much for listening and sending the episodes to people who reach out to you. That's I, I highly appreciate that. And next question, Tyler, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? That alcohol is literally shit. <laughs> and why are you putting it in your body? Like, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it other than like, it was this kind of like, pulling back the curtain from like mar from like media and marketing and seeing like the monster that was behind it. So I'm like, man, I'm like I'm just hurting myself over and over and over by putting this crap inside me like all the time. And so that was just like the biggest piece of wisdom, I guess, which is super, you know, simple and straightforward, but you know, at the same time, so profound in a world that really glamorizes alcohol. 
Randy Reeves, if you're listening in Guam, you heard it from Tyler. Alcohol is shit. It's that simple. And Tyler, what parting piece of guidance do you have to listeners who are thinking about getting sober or you know, are in early recovery? If you're thinking about getting sober, just do it. I mean, like I said, like if you are thinking about it, it's so much easier and freeing to just lean into the side that thinks you might have a problem because then you have a solution. If you lean to the other side, you're never going to have a solution. You're always going to be questioning. You're always going to be wondering and pondering if you have an issue. So just jump onto the other side. We've heard this in 38 podcasts now. Lean in to those emotions. Lean into those feelings and don't run the other way. And Tyler, before we depart, give listeners your own customized that you might be an alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic if you wake up with a wig on and you don't know how it happened. Ah, Halloween 2007. Yep, yep, I'm right there with you. Right there with you. Tyler, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, listeners, go to the podcast episode, show notes, episode 130, and find his fabulous writing, Gay Fabulous, and Drinking Myself to Death. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. The bulk of the reading by Pema Chodron, it talks about meditation and what's encouraging about meditation when we do it, regardless if we feel like we're doing a good job or bad job of it, it's that even though we shut down, we can't shut down an ignorance after we've been meditating. We can see clearly, very clearly we are shutting down, but we can notice. And that word notice is underlined on my legal notepad. We can notice how we are running away and shutting down. Reaching our limit is not some kind of punishment but actually a sign of health when we meet the place where we are about to die inside. We feel fear and trembling. It doesn't matter what it is. And it's this moment that forces us to reach our limit. The point is, it happens to all of us, but it's what we do after that. Do we go left? Do we go right? Or do we hang out in the middle? And the middle is where we lean into those emotions and move forward. Okay, Recovery Elevator, thank you so much for listening. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 